You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you turn to Matthew 26, verse 36? As we begin, we see a surrendering of the will by our Master, our Lord and Savior. And so I want to make sure that we have a foundation as we begin this study. If our Lord did it, uh, we can do it too. In verse 36, we read, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as your will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And what were those words? Lord, if there's any way you can remove this cup, nevertheless, not my will, but let your will be done. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you again for allowing us to gather corporately. Thank you for allowing us to enter into your courts with praise and thanksgiving in our heart, leading us to the very presence of the altar, your throne of great mercy, a mercy seat that is there for us as an invitation to come when we are overwhelmed and engulfed with sin, with dirt. Father, help us to understand you. your throne is a throne of great mercy. Speak to us now as we gather here together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Would you turn with me to Psalm 51? I've entitled this message, Surrendering of the Will. And I use Matthew chapter 26, 36 in that reading so that we can establish a foundation that if our Lord Jesus Christ had trouble himself in, in his humanity, if he had trouble laying down his own will and obliterating his will so that the will of God can be done, he said, my spirit is sorrowful unto death. So laying down your will and surrendering or capitulation is not easy. It's laborious. It's painful. The word capitulation basically means to surrender unconditionally or on stipulated terms, to give up resistance. That's what capitulation means. In the animal world, specifically the canine world, dogs have a way of capitulating. I have a little two-pound Yorkie. Not my type of dog, but my children's. 
He weighs around two and a half pounds. He thinks he's bad. <laughs> he's a wonderful alarm. He is able to detect people, you know, 20, 30 feet away. And I can tell by the bark if a UPS man or I can tell if the Jehovah Witnesses. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I, I'm not lying. It's like he tells me, Jehovah Witnesses, Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, okay, go get him. I can tell. But at times he sees some cats. And he's behind the gate. And he barks so ferocious. He's lethal, man. So one point he saw a cat under the car. He was rabid. He was just spitting saliva. So, uh, you know, my, my malicious nature in me. I said, you want to get him? 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 Go for it. I opened the gate. And he ran after the cat. The cat came out with the claws came out. My dog, imagine a cartoon, going after the cat, and all of a sudden he realized, as he was going through so much, he realized he's bigger than me, I'm scared. He's and when he met the cat, what he did, he went belly up, and he exposed his belly. See, that's the nature of a dog. That is the equivalent of wrestling, when you know you're getting beat up and you tap out. That's when you realize, because homeboy's messing you up, and you go... The referee can't see your hand. You go, hey. <laughs> That's tap out. You're telling the referee, you know, I'm done. I don't want to fight anymore. I remember one man saying to me before I decided to follow Jesus completely. He said, hey, Pancho, how many rounds you want to go with God? 12, 15, 20, 20,000? You know, there is a, there's a, an act in the ring when, when the boxer does not know his limitations and he's getting beat up. The corner throws in what? The towel. You see, the boxer is, is not able to understand that he's getting hurt. All he has is his gut instinct that he has to continue fighting, but his rationale, his logical sequence... The process of reality is no longer there. He's in a survival mode, but he's getting beat up. He doesn't understand it. The corner just basically throws in the towel. And they stop the fight. You see, we too, at one point or another, our will, our own agenda, gets in the way of God's agenda. And so there has to come a point that if there's anything in your life, any blemish, any dirt, anything that's causing a hindrance, an obstacle in running that race. I don't know if you ever ran, run and then a little pebble goes under your shoe. The smallest pebble, that little pebble can cause you pain. You got to stop and take that shoe off and shake that shoe off and take that little pebble that's causing an irritation. In the same way, David did not have a pebble in his shoe. He had a massive rock in his shoe. But he kept it hidden for almost a year. It wasn't until Nathan the prophet came up to him and, and basically popped him right there and then. And then immediately David, unlike Saul, Saul blaming on other people. Remember that, King Saul. What is the bleeding I hear? What is that? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, the people took it. He blamed everybody but himself. David took the rap immediately. You remember, 
He says, for I have sinned against my God. So he writes in Psalm 51 as an example in the process of surrendering the will. Notice how David begins, first of all, by, by basically making adoration, acknowledging God's attributes and characteristics of God. See, as long as you and I know the character and the attributes of God, let me give you a little short test. Is God merciful? Temporarily or forever? His mercies endure. The Bible says that mercies are new every when you sin, do you have the God-given grace gift to be forgiven? Yes or no? Or being restored? Absolutely. But you cannot be forgiven, you cannot be restored without realizing how God good is. David messed up royally, no pun intended. But he messed up royally. As he writes, he begins to attribute the, th the beautiful characteristics of God. Notice what he says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Notice what after he worships a God and there's an adoration and his exaltation, there's a cry of mercy here as, he, as he's recalling the great uh, attributes of God. And he has three things. And all three things have to do with cleansing. Blot away, wash away, and cleanse me. The word blot away basically meant that human records that can be expunged or erased. Blot my name from the guilty list. The second one is wash away. It compares forgiveness with washing of clothes. And then cleansing. In liturgy, it's a ceremonial cleansing in which a person is purified. Theologically, we call that ablution. The ceremony or rite of going through a process where you wash your hands, you wash your feet, and you go through an ablution before you enter the presence of God. And that's what David is asking in a moment, you'll see that he goes from adoration, and he goes to petition number one. And then from the petition number one, there's an acknowledgement, there's a confession, and there's an admission. You can never come to a, a place where you surrender your will to God without acknowledging what are you giving and yielding to God. And so he gives the acknowledgement, and then there's a submission. And there you see the capitulation, the acceptance, and then petition number two. And then he asks, in the petition number two, he asks for something that, thank God, you and I will never have to ask. He pleads, do not take away the Holy Spirit from me. You see, he was aware that the Spirit of God was taken from the first king, Saul. And that was in back of his mind, in the forefront of his mind, in the forefront of his heart. He pleaded, don't take away the Holy Spirit from me. Realizing that God had done that. Thank be to the Lord Jesus Christ that according to Jesus, as he promised his disciples and the future people of him, he said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will be with you forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so... You see here the confession. He says in verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, plural, and my sin, singular, is always before me. 
Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me know to know wisdom. And then he takes us here in verse 7 to an imagery of the Old Testament as they would take the plant of hyssop, dip it in, 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 in the blood of innocent lamb, and they would sprinkle people and, and objects to purify it. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. I always find that interesting, that he's asking to be purged, to be washed, to make him hear joy and gladness. Obviously, he is inferring, implying, that since he's been hiding this sin, since he's been the subject of, of sin subjugation, that he realized there's no joy, and that's what we find, that's what hidden sin does. It takes your joy away from you. Now, when you look at Nehemiah, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if there is no joy, you, you really don't have any spiritual vitality. When you have no joy, there's no inner strength. We're not talking about muscular. We're not talking about mass, muscular mass. We're talking about inward constitution of strength. And you and I need strength more than ever as we become leaders and proclaimers and heralders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need inner strength, no matter how short, no matter how small or how big you are. What we need is a big heart full of joy and peace. Without joy, it's basically the opposite. You'll find gloominess and sadness. And what happens with gloominess and sadness? It is that it's very contagious. You contaminate other people. Have you ever met people that are sour? They contaminate you the living daylight. But on the other hand, joy is so contaminating have you ever been in a, in a in a public arena public place where where you don't understand why people are laughing you don't you don't get the joke you didn't hear the joke but you hear the laughter uncontrollable laughter and pretty soon you catch yourself laughing you don't even know what you're laughing about i was sitting with my wife at la habra california and there were on four la habra police officers they were in back of the the booth behind us when we sat down, that, their conversation was already going. They were already laughing, man. They were cracking up. My wife and I did not know what they were talking about. But our presence even made it more laughable for them because now they're whispering and they're laughing. And pretty soon my wife and I started laughing with each other. We didn't know why. <laughs> because it is contagious. My point in telling you this is that, is that gloominess and sadness... It's also contagious. And if you are contaminated by a lack of joy, and then you have to really examine what, what is it. Is it chronic or is it just temporal? I hope it's temporal. I'm not joyful all the time. There's some times where you need to be sad and you need to be, be sober-minded. But here he is saying in, in verse 8, he says, My bones you have broken may rejoice Every time you hear that, you see, the Psalms is a poetical book. It wasn't that his bones were really hurting. It was an expression that something inside is hurting. And every time you hear the bones being broken by God, it always speaks of emotional anguish. Psalm 6, verse 2. You can make a reference. 
Every time you hear that, it's always expressing emotional languishing, emotional pain. And then he says in verse 9, Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I think of the words of Chuck as we saw on the video yesterday. He says, I hope that today that your heart will draw closer to the things of God. We cannot get close to God if our heart is full of iniquity or there's partial stain and blemish or is tainted or blemished. We cannot. So David's heart was not clean. Therefore and thereby, he is asking God to create in him a clean heart and to renew a steadfast spirit within. Do not cast away from your presence. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. When you look at John 14, 16, what a, what a difference. That you and I as New Testament believers, as children of God, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will never be taken away from us. I don't know if you understand the value of such statement. How wonderful it is that God will never take away the Spirit from us. And then he requests here in verse 12. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And not only that, uphold me by your generous spirit. And notice what he, he promises. Should he be restored? Should he be forgiven? Should, should, should he be uphold by the spirit? If he was to be purged and washed, if he was to hear the joy and gladness, if he would be cleansed from his sin, he says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. You see, you and I can never impart no experience to others other than the experience you imparted yourself. In other words, if you have the flu, you can contaminate others with the flu. If you don't have the flu, there's no way you can impart others the flu. You need to be sick in order for you to contaminate other people. Let's reverse that. The only way that we can impart the experience of a sinner is because we have been there before. And we understand pain, we understand shame, we understand being marginalized, we understand to be defeated. If we understand that, and then we be restored, we hear the joy of God, God builds us up, and then you have a sensitivity. Because when you go out there and you see other people the way you were feeling, you are able to comfort those with the same comfort that the comforter gave you. And we become sensitive to the things of God. Because you experience that. David will become a different man. That's why he cries out in Psalm 32. Oh, happy is the man whose sins have been forgiven. Happy is the man. There's a feeling of rejoicing having been forgiven. No more do you have a bully in your conscience. No longer is your conscience oozing guilt and shame. No longer is your heart just uh, has a, a, a different beat because of the sin or the blemish that's hindering you. There's a place where there's a total, total cleansing. But there has to be a confession. Now, what is a confession? Confession means to tell or to make known as something wrong or damaging to oneself. An admission of guilt is voluntary or volitional. It's non-compulsive. Confession in scriptures is voluntary. And the utmost a pastor or a biblical teacher can do is to urge the penitent soul to accept the forgiveness of God as a biblical obligation. 
Now, I don't know about any of you, but I came from a traditional, cultural, biological, social religion. We had what we call compulsory confession. Compulsory. In other words, part of my religion was in order for me to receive communion, and if I didn't receive communion, the girls would know that that guy didn't take communion. And I was excommunicated from my social circle of girlfriends. So I would do that so I can be accepted by the girl. How do you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Only around 10 of us. <laughs> See, being in that religion, the, the peer pressure of our culture and the social circles, you, meet, you, you must be a good religious boy. So we had to go to an obligational, to a compulsory confession at least once a year. And you got to go and talk to someone who now we know they're probably worse than you are. I, I'm not laughing. You're laughing. I'm not. And then after you, you, you know, you confess your sins. You, you don't want to confess everything because you'll blow the deuce mine on the other side. You're laughing. I'm not. And then you say something like, Father, forgive me for I don't remember the rest. That's a lie. And then on the other side, they will give you a penance. Penance is a right originally reserved for those who have sinned seriously enough to be excluded from the Lord's Supper. Today, it is continued almost exclusively in the practice of private confession to a priest and the absolution bestowed as an act of forgiveness. In the Old Testament, confession, forsaking of sins, brought mercy from God. Solomon said in Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. David was forgiven after he confessed his sin. We find it in Psalm 51, in Psalm 38, and in Psalm 32. Those are called penitent psalms, where David realized, I cannot move, I cannot walk, I cannot worship, I cannot go any further. I am paralyzed by my transgressions, and I have to do something about it before I continue on my spiritual journey. David, there's, uh, forgive me, in James chapter 5, 16, this is the only reference in Scripture to a confession by one person to another person. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. See, there is healthy in confession. Someone said in the second century, he said, confession to the Christian is the vomit of the soul. Confession to the Christian is the vomit of the soul. Sharing your trespasses to one another is healthy. You, you tell someone, what happens is that your conscience is relieved and you share with others what's going on. Because when you have hidden sin, when you have secretive sin, the enemy pounces on each and every one of us. You cannot hear joy. There's no gladness. You cannot worship. As you, as you hear the men worshiping, you, you just fake the funk. You fake it. Pancho, you sound like you know what you're talking Of course. I have faked the funk. There are times when I was just incapable, but I was just faking the funk. Because I wanted to express to God, Lord, help me, help me. But it wasn't until I did things right 
And I learned earlier in my Christian life, like around seven years after being a Christian, I realized that, that I cannot go any further. You see, I don't know about you, but there isn't a day that goes by where there's an evil thought in my life. I don't know about you, but for me, there isn't a day where my mind flashes back to reeling in the years from the past. There isn't a time when I'm driving in the freeway and I see a poster or I see something that reminds me of them and, and, and then I have a flesh flash. You ever have one of those? Oh, not you, forgive me. Some of you. Only nine of us. We have a flesh flash and all of a sudden we entertain the thought. And pretty soon you're, you're back into that wickedness and all of a sudden you are captured by your thoughts. Thoughts formulate actions. You know that. So this is why Peter says, think of virtuous things. So when you and I are thinking and capturing images that are ungodly, we entertain in the mind, in the theater of our mind, we not only entertain them, uh, but there's a, whole, there's a whole conglomeration of thoughts, and pretty soon you're enraptured with them, and you got to snap out of it. And so therefore and thereby, although physically I'm not engaged in filth, in my mind I have engaged in filth already. Uh, it's just me, man. And I need every day a cleansing from God. There isn't a day where I say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. There isn't a day. And so to recognize, you see, unlike Job, Job and his bemoaning and lamenting Job, Job said, how I wish God that I can, that I can have someone that understands my humanity. How I wish that you understand the sorrow that I have to live through this life. How I wish that someone from heaven will be able to understand my human plight. Job was asking that. See, you and I don't have to be like Job. We have someone who knows what we go through. We call him the mediator. David did not have one. He went straight to God. But you and I have a mediator. We are told in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, the intercessor. He's our high priest, the mediator. Man is excluded. When I came to this scripture, it was liberating for me. This is a scripture that I have to use in my community because there's a lot of people that come from the religion I came, and they said, we need to make confession. Is there a booth here? No, we don't even have telephone booths anymore. Uh, Confession is, is voluntary. Confession is to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our mediator. There's nothing, there's no one in between. We saw that in Hebrews 7.25. It says, Jesus is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he's always living to make intercession for each and every one of us. You see, there's a promise of restoration in the Old Testament as well as the New. Let me give you the one in the Old Testament. Leviticus 26 verse 40. If they confess their, their iniquity, this is God speaking. But if my people confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness, in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of the enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humble and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, I will remember, I will remember the land. That's the Old Testament. If you acknowledge, if you admit, and if you vocalize that you were wrong and you confess me, I will also forgive you. In the New Testament, we all know this, 1 John 1, 8, 9. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if, if we confess our sins, volitional, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just not only to forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, what can wash my sins away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you're going to do it on your own, if by doing an extra ritual, by coming here earlier, by getting up earlier, by going to the water edge, and, and if you're going to do all that, that ain't going to work, man. You better stay in your room in the toilet and just get on your knees and say, Father, forgive me right there. Forget the lake. A toilet bowl will do. <laughs> if you've never worshipped the porcelain God, you don't understand what I'm... How many worshipped the porcelain God before BC days? Amen. <laughs> If we did that in our drunkenness, why can't we do that now as we're sober-minded and bow down the knee and say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sins. And right there and then, man, in your bathroom. You don't need no scenery. You don't need no ocean. You don't need nothing. That's not, right there and then. Right there. Now, what are the benefits of confession? A peace conscience. A peace Basically, it purges the personality of guilt feelings, providing good mental and emotional health. Secondly, self-recognition. Recognition of sinful affections of debilitating attitudes simply paves the way to their correction or extermination. And then lastly, the benefit of confession, assurance. Assurance is the comfort and relief to the sensitive soul who has tortured himself by compunctions. The word compunction means shame, guilt, regret, remorse. Or disproportionate and unbalanced guilt. Assurance is not a deception, but justified confidence and fortification through God's promise. It is the nature of God. It is God's attributes of unfailing love, one of them being compassion. And so as David continues to basically says in verse, in verse 14, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Verse 16, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I will give it to you. But you do not delight in burnt offerings either. And here's what God desires. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. A broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Other version says a crushed heart. When you have a crushed heart, you realize that you come to a place where your heart now becomes malleable. Your heart becomes flexible. Your heart now is, is, has the ability to be softened enough so that God begins to shape that heart. Contrary to that, he says, do not harden your heart. Pride puts a veneer in a varnish and the heart gets hard. Manhood, pride, all of a sudden, Self-preservation, me, myself, and I, the trinity of humanity and flesh. Me, myself, and I. And your heart becomes hard. Do not harden your heart. Allow it to be broken. When the word of God comes to people, 
the invitation in Revelation chapter 3. It's an invitation to the church, but it's also an invitation to the individual that has never heard Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, I stand and I knock at the door of your heart. It makes sense to the non-believers. Because for the very first time, they come and they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've never heard Jesus as he's fully explained. They never knew his character. They never know the Christology. They don't know his, his life, his words, his teaching, his salvation, his intervention. People that come from my religion have never heard Jesus. When they come and they listen for the first time, and when I say that Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, they understand it. Because I've never heard anything like this. It happens at funerals. You see, we don't charge our funerals. There's all kinds of debts in our community, and it's very expensive because their religion, their churches charges a lot of money. That's called duress upon duress. That's sad. And then when they can't pay for a decent funeral, we have around three mortuaries that we work together with. And then they say, listen, there's a church here, Montebello Calvary Chapel, who will do everything for free. Now, when, they, when it's free, I have reins. Don't tell me what to preach. I'll preach whatever I want. <laughs> it's free. It's free. Right? So people come, and I've shared this before, and I don't get tired of it. That's our growth. They come, and they all have sorrow. They're waiting for a traditional church where it's a necrotic religion. You know, they, they, they bring out the microphone. They dip it in the water. And they start doing this. <laughs> they get the incense. And they're the people suffering, just like you see in John chapter 11, that made Jesus cry. In the shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Because he saw what death does. And that's what you see in these funerals. They're, they don't have the words of hope. They don't have the words of assurance. They don't know anything. They're, they're thinking they're going to go to a traditional, they think they're going to go to an archaic service, just liturgy and blah, 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 and blah, 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 where the man doesn't even know who died. He says, well, our dear brother uh chewy chewy he's gone sad now, some of you looking at me bewildered how many know what i'm talking about raise your hands see some of these people looking at me nah not true it's true and when they come to the house of god and when the word is open and jesus peace i give unto you people get caught he says, if anybody wants to receive Jesus, the peace of God, I will say like, like 40% of the attendees raise their hands. I mean, the fishing is good, dude. <laughs> Our fishing is good. And, and there's, there's never a time where people come and they want to shake my hand and they say, hey, hey, Father, that was, that was, they call me Father. <laughs> anybody been called Father before? All right, man, come on, man. I'm not, I mean, I, I don't correct them. Don't call me father. There's only one father. I don't do that, you know. There's another time for that. If they think I'm a father, go for it, you know. I don't care. I don't care. He says, Father, that was a good speech. Do you talk like that on Sundays? I said, better. <laughs> better. Why better? I'm not saying better in my eloquence, better because here is only the gospel of the assurance of death. But when we come on Sunday mornings, the assurance of living, the love and the peace of God, and people come to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's never a time when people that attended a funeral on a weekday, they end up coming on a Sunday morning because they feel something in their heart. They're open. They understand the love of God. 
And they're open for that because they see the confession. Now, do you know the confession before the Lord in the Old Testament? In Isaiah 55, verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and our God, for he will be abundantly pardoned. That's confession before the Lord in the Old Testament. And the New Testament and Hebrews 4.16, there's the invitation. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What do we, what do we experience at this throne of mercy? Well, number one, God's mercy. Number two, God's forgiveness. Number three, we plead for his grace. This is when David went to the throne of God. And after he realized that he's been forgiven to God, he realized that the invitation, because of God's attributes, you recall what Isaiah quoted God saying, he said, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, God says, let us reason together. In other words, logically, reasonably, allow your reason, your logic to come to God, recognizing that he's merciful, that he's good. He is always ready to pardon. He is there for you and I willingly, but it has to be an acknowledgement from our heart. We are told by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 5, 3, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jeremiah 17, 7, Jeremiah said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree that is planted by the waters, which spreads out his roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but his leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. He's speaking about a, rest, a restored tree to full fellowship with God. A tree that is getting its nourishment right straight from the river itself. And that tree is healthy, bearing tree, bearing fruit in due season. You see, if we are to bear fruit, we must be clean vessels. And so, my friends, I close with an invitation for you and I. If you did not do this yesterday, I hope that sometime this week, because, again, my whole intent in sharing these two messages was to ensure that you and I have an opportunity to come through the throne of grace. That you will come to know the attributes of God. That God is not holding some Louisville bat up, up your head waiting for you. I was wrong. I told you that. What Calvary Chapel you go to? Which one? <laughs> He's merciful. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. This morning, God is merciful. Father, in the name of Jesus, we express, Father, just gratitude and thanksgiving. I, for one, and I speak, I believe, for everyone, we appreciate your kindness. We thank you, Lord, that we cannot afford to take restoration and forgiveness for granted. Father, may you revitalize, may you regenerate, may you restore, 
may you revive each and every one of us. The Lord, that we can walk away from here, Father, purified, cleansed, hygienitized, that we walk out with a clean heart, a clean mind, a clean conscience, a clean soul, the Lord, that we will be able to be thoroughly equipped to fight the good fight. May you be with us as we thank you and as we continue of learning more from you today, tonight, and tomorrow. Be blessed, Lord, as we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Poncho Juarez. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Poncho's teaching ministry by visiting thearcmontebello.com.